Welcome to Anecdotal Notes. I'm your host, Pat Aiken, and unfortunately I won't be uh, joined by my co-host Steve Hyde for the next couple of episodes. <clears throat> it's allergy season in Georgia, and uh, the truth is, uh, I think Steve's a little bit indisposed, and uh, he'll be back. I mean, Steve's not gone or anything, but he he just fell sick, I think. So you're going to have to just deal with me for uh, the next couple of episodes, and uh, that's okay, you know, because we're a full-service podcast. We're a little low-tech, I'll admit that, but <clears throat> on the other hand, you know, we focus more or less on the reality of things and on research and the scientific approach to uh, the various subjects that we cover uh, on Anecdotal Notes. So, first, before we go further, uh, I want to give a shout-out to uh, Jimmy. Uh, Talk with him. Jimmy is a a great drummer here in the area. Jimmy listens to us, and uh, I just wanted to give him some uh, a shout-out for his positive feedback, you know. Talked to him the other day, said he, he loves the podcast, and that he's listening out there and I know that hopefully you know he's going to hear this and he's going to encounter and just know how much we appreciate all of the positive feedback. I want to thank Sarah out in Texas for her kind words in an email and I also would like to thank uh, a person named Livingston. Uh, They didn't really, unless Livingston is their first name, they left a message and said that they enjoyed the podcast. So, Livingston, if this is your first or last name, uh, thank you very much for your uh, comments. Now, for the first time, we're going to turn to the mailbag. And uh, I may sound a little bit hoarse today. Like I said, it is full-blown pollen season here in Georgia. And for people who live outside of this region... I promise you, until you have endured a spring when the pine trees uh, pollinate, you have no idea. It's like snow. There's so much pollen out there. And, of course, you know, at my house, the Flonase, we've been working overtime, uh, taking all sorts of antihistamines. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's been something else, really. I mean, just pretty tough. And, and normally, I'm not really affected by pollen that much but this year for some reason I've had you know the uh, post nasal drip and the sore throat and uh, all of those sorts of secondary symptoms and wow <clears throat> just blown me away uh, I'm going to turn to the mailbag I would like to uh, share a letter uh, it was an anonymous letter but and you know how that is I mean it, this may or may not be real but you know, my gut says that this person is reaching out for help. And uh, so I'm going to read the letter and address uh, some of the things that that are brought out in the letter. And, uh, well, it was actually an email, but it was in the form of a letter. And uh, try to help this person out because they are asking for help and uh for some strategies of what to do with the situation that they're currently experiencing. So, you know, I'm not, 
I don't know. I'm not on the ground there. I can't say uh, 100% if what I'm going to say in generality is going to be appropriate, but I'm going to do everything I can. So you said you would be listening, the person that uh, has written this uh, letter in. So I'm going to read your letter now, and I'm going to do my best to try to follow back through and help you out. Uh, And it begins, it says, Dear Anecdotal Notes, I'm writing you for advice. I have a Bigfoot sneaking around my house. I live near the river, doesn't say which river, and it comes up to the house about twice a week. Sometimes late at night, I hear it rambling around in our burn pile or in the trash. In a burn pile, if you're outside of the region, uh, historically, rural people, you know, we didn't in the South have a lot of... uh, dumpsters until recent years and a lot of people would go get a 55 gallon drum a steel drum they would take it out there and and essentially any kind of uh, paper waste you know whatever kitchen waste they would burn it in the uh, the burn uh, pile out there is what we'd call it I hear it rambling around in our burn pile or in the trash I've also found some evidence of it moving stuff on my porch. My dogs have stopped barking at it, and they just cower under the porch, and my little dog will hide under the bed. I have a cat, and she refuses to go outside anymore. Sometimes when I hear it outside late at night, Both my dog and house cat hide inside the house. They get under the bed. I work late at night and get home around 12 or 1 a.m. I feel like this is, I feel like there is something watching me. So I run into the house. Sometimes I eat a sandwich before I go to bed and I feel like I'm being watched. I'm scared because I'm alone. I don't have any neighbors nearby, and I'm secluded along the river. Again, doesn't define which river. Should I try to make friends with this thing? Should I feed it? I notice it seems to be hungry because it is always raiding my trash. Would it be smart to feed it something? What do I do to get rid of this thing? I'm sorry. If turned my home into it has turned my home into a prison. I'm scared to sit on the back porch. I know it is there because all the insects and frogs stop making noise. It is very scary and I have stopped sitting on my own back porch. Please give me advice. I'm a Georgia resident and live in southwestern Georgia, but it is really isolated where I live. Thanks for your advice. I'll be listening. Uh, Okay, well, you know, let me just touch on this. First thing, this is not, you are not isolated 
uh, in the fact that you are alone in the world and this has never happened to someone else. Uh, in fact, I've uh, over the years run into several uh, incidents, cases where people who lived adjacent to a major waterway, like, you know, for instance, I'm, I'm not assuming that this is the Flint River. There are other rivers in Georgia, but, you know, you live up, you live next to the river. Well, purportedly, these things use the river systems as almost like a highway. Always you, you find that there's a, a higher incident, <coughs> incident of... Uh, encounters along major waterways and creeks. So that in and of itself, while I understand that the listener would say, well, you know, a Bigfoot, right, you, you know, yes, it would seem abnormal in the everyday world, but, but people who encounter these things, this listener is describing really a, a, a set of behaviors that have been observed by, I mean, myriad researchers over the years. The creatures use these highways, these rivers, and they forage. And that seems to be the case. Uh, it would be my gut instinct to say, firstly, whatever you've got there, whatever kind of uh, creature is out there, They've basically, you know, they're probably working a circuit along the river because you say it comes twice a week. Well, that means that it's at your house twice a week foraging. See what it can find. Uh, I don't know if, you know, my, my guess is from your letter that you have a cat and a little dog in the house and you have bigger dogs outside. Uh, for the dog's outside sake, if they don't have somewhere to uh, hide or get out of reach, I would strongly suggest that, you know, you don't, like, try to lock them in a pen during this time. Uh, allow the dogs someplace to retreat. You know, if they, they seem to be doing okay under the porch and, you know, something... Uh, let's just say, historically, if you have barking dogs and one of these creatures come around, <clears throat> there's a good chance that your dogs are going to start going gone. They're going to be missing because uh, several cases, even uh, the Momo case out in Missouri, the creature was observed with a dog carcass under its arm. So I would just suggest for your animal's sake, keep a, a sharp eye on your animals. Allow the outside dogs a place to get under the house if necessary. You know, because these things will go after your animals. Uh, nextly, okay, you had a terrible idea. All right, and you, there's just no, there's no two ways around it. You, you do not feed this thing. Every person who starts a, a, a dependent relationship with one of these things, they end up. Uh, really regretting it in the long run because for whatever reason they don't just accept a food handout from you and move on down the road uh, they just pretty much get habitualized and they're going to be there 
and start looking for you to give them food all the time. And we're talking about something that, you know, it, whether you believe in it or not, but even the, the sheer outline of the, the physicality and the physiology of this creature would demand something in the neighborhood of probably 15,000, 20,000 calories a day uh, to sustain itself. That's a lot of food. You know, in my case, in the Elkins Creek case, I found, uh, or at least uh, the old man who, who I dealt with during my case, I mean, he alleged a 50-pound bag of dry dog food eaten in a night. 50 pounds. Okay? And, you know, he, he bought the stuff apparently by the pallet. You know, because he had a pallet, and, and over time, I mean, things come in, they'll sit down and eat it. So, no, I think it would be just a terrible idea for you to put a bologna sandwich or, you know, some fried eggs, whatever it is, you know, even, you know, kitchen scraps. Uh, bad idea to put that out there because eventually what's going to happen is you're going to leave your residence and you're not going to be on time with the food. And at the very best, I think the behavior pattern of these creatures, whatever they are, is erratic. So you're going to make the creature mad, you know, when you don't show up with the daily uh, dividend of food. So that's a bad idea. <clears throat> you can't make friends with these creatures. I don't care what you see on... Uh, you know, Harry and the Henderson's movies and those sorts of things, you know, and you hear accounts of people who are saying, well, Bigfoot comes up and brings me yellow daisies and he's, he's wonderful. Okay, well, <clears throat> you need to think of these creatures as being individuals. So, you know, one creature may be friendly, but the next four creatures may want to eat you. Now that's the cold, harsh reality of this, and and frankly, I'm uh, I'm very much an open-minded researcher. So while I do give credence to the uh, flesh and blood only theory that this is some sort of uh, hominid creature, uh, a leftover from you know the prehistoric days or Gigantopithecus black eye or blackie. Um, there's also as much precedent that this thing is interdimensional. Uh, you know, there have been stories of being a UFO occupant. So the point I'm just trying to make, no matter where you come down in the schools of thought as to the origin of this creature, it's an unknown. And while I, I would never, I'm, you know, the whole point of our podcast is to explore the unknown and to be open-minded, but you can't be so open-minded that your brain falls out, you know, self-preservation. So you, you need to be very careful. Don't put yourself in a position where you are alone and you allow the creature into your physical presence because there's no way you could possibly fight the thing off without a gun. And frankly, if it was close enough to you, I doubt seriously that uh, even the gun 
would prevent it from at the very least getting to you and uh, overpowering you. So, no, we don't want to put food out. We don't want to uh, go out, you know, with a, a pan of cookies and, you know, that sort of thing. We don't want to go shake its hand. You know, be smart about this. The house is your fortress in this case. Uh, if you don't have a weapon, you know, and a lot of people these days, there's a great debate raging across the country. Well, I, I'm going to just say this point blank. I'm very much a person that believes that uh, every human being as a human right has the right to have uh, a weapon for protection. And by that, I mean the most advanced weapon that we know of, which right now is a gun, not a sword or a pike or, a, you know, a bow and arrow, a gun. And if you don't have a gun, then I'm going to make the suggestion that perhaps you go get some type of gun, especially something uh, that you could conceal in your car and have it for the... Uh, when you traverse from your car to your home late at night. And I'm going to suggest something big, a 45 ACP, uh, maybe a, a 44 Special, but you definitely, you need something that's a, a larger caliber handgun at the very least just to have on you. You don't say in this whether you're male or female. Uh, so, you know, I don't know. It doesn't mean that I'm sexist. I just don't know the parameters of, of what I would advise. But I would advise anyone, male or female, uh, to have some sort of protection that way. If you are, however, female, and, uh, you know, I, I let's just say this. There, uh, again, is great precedent. Uh, Brenda Harris out in the Navajo Reservation she's a researcher out uh, in the west but they are very careful out there that if you are a lone female that you not be alone in the presence of these creatures and I've read her reports and she stated you know these creatures will definitely be attracted by lone females and children Okay, so now whether or not these creatures perceive, you know, a weakness among, you know, the the those two categories of people, I don't know. But definitely in her stories and in her investigations, she shared uh, Navajo tribal history of children actually being snatched. One in one case, I believe she said they were coming out of a mountain range in a a creature grabbed a child out of the bed of a pickup truck and ran off with it, and they found the child dead several days later. <clears throat> a creature coming up from a river. thats They have a river that runs through their reservation, and same thing out there. They, they follow these rivers. They use the rivers, and, you know, they, they sneak up, and it's very agricultural out there. So they, you know, they're always around the edges of the fields. And they're watching the women if they work alone or in groups. So if you are a female, you need to take extra precaution not to uh, 
be alone, not to be defenseless, and not to uh, put yourself in a position to become a victim, basically, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, what can we do to stop this? Well, I'll tell you what. You, the first thing I would do is you need to be very careful of what you're dumping in the food pile. In fact, I think at least until, you know, after you hear this, if you are listening, uh, immediately stop putting any food items in uh, the burn pile or in your outside trash. Uh, you know, I know that's stinky. I know, you know, you don't want to keep, like, fat from uh, ground beef and stuff in your house, but get you a big coffee can. Do something that you can seal. You can pour this stuff up and take it away from your home. Uh, get you some garbage bags. Take the thing to a dumpster in town or somewhere, but you don't want to put food items outside for it to uh, forage in. Uh, if you're feeding your dogs outside... I strongly suggest that, you know, you take the food in and out. Don't leave uh, dry dog food. In my own history, I know that dry dog food is uh, a very popular Bigfoot dish, apparently. So take the, the food from outside your home. If you don't have floodlights, I'm going to suggest that... Uh, you light up the exterior of your home. Uh, a lot of places, power companies, in, in I don't know where you are down there in southwest Georgia, but you should perhaps contact and see about putting a security light in your backyard, perhaps putting in some floodlights on the eaves of your home, and light up the exterior of your home at night. You know, I think they apparently, I mean, they really don't like light. So it would be really smart of you to do that. Again, you know, let me reemphasize to you, you're having some kind of protection. And I don't know if you're in a single level home or if you're in uh, a house with two floors or three even, but... <clears throat> If you have these things easing around, they are, uh, and you indicated that you'd seen things moved around on your porch. You didn't indicate whether it was front or back. But I would, I would make a, a, a seasoned guess that this thing's easing up to your house and he's looking in the windows or it's looking in the windows. And it's, it's checking you out and it's checking the the interior of your home out and that's probably hungry looking for food but you can't just make the assumption that this thing is benign and that it has your best interest at heart okay i honestly think that uh you don't want you don't want these things on your property bottom line they they are destructive or can be destructive and, you know, we put, uh, modern man, we put a lot of emphasis on uh, locking our door at night. Okay, well, we're talking about something that on average is described as being like eight feet tall, probably, 
near, you know, 600, 800 pounds, your, your door is not going to uh, do the job of keeping it out. In fact, if they had the understanding, knowledge, and perception, the walls of your home <laughs> probably couldn't keep one of these things out. So I just suggest laying low at night. Cut your lights off inside the house. Keep it low. Don't silhouette yourself against the windows. Uh, and, and I'm saying this especially if you're alone. You know, you need to take care of whatever business you want to during the daytime. And when you get home, make your way from your car to your house. Lock yourself in. If you have an alarm and it has uh, a feature, like at my house I have one that's armed away, which cuts on motion detectors, but I also have one that's called arm stay, which basically cuts on the windows and the doors. So if anything breaks glass or kicks a door in, uh, you know, there will be an alarm sent. <clears throat> but if you're out where I suspect you are, you know, police response may be 20 or 30 minutes. So, you know, you're kind of in a situation where you're on your own in that regard. So, yeah, let me just reemphasize again some kind of uh, weapon to defend yourself. And, you know, if you feel more comfortable, you can contact us back. And obviously everything we do is confidential. And, uh, you know, I'll drive down, uh, get Steve when Steve gets back on his feet and come down, look at uh, your property, and maybe make some actual real-time suggestions of, you know, what we would do in this situation. My hope is, if you'll just do the things I've talked about today, if you remove the food source, it'll have to move along if it uh, is dependent upon you feeding it. But, you know... That's only one possible uh, reason it could be at your home. could be interested in you, which is the worst case scenario. could be interested in your dogs that are outside. So <clears throat> do the things that uh, I've suggested today. If you can, I mean, I understand how money is <clears throat> in it's very expensive to do this stuff, but if I think truly the addition of a security light, maybe some floodlights, and you start leaving those on, remove the food, more than likely interest is going to be lost in you rather quickly, and you know you'll you'll be okay. So let's hope that that's the case, and that you're okay. But either way, you have the email address you've used it once. Uh, email us back and let us know uh, what's taking place what's going on and uh, hopefully this helped you I had another uh, email come in person was asking about uh, the UFO flap in Georgia in 1973 well <clears throat> believe it or not although I was truly a child I remember the UFO flap from 1973, and for several months of that year, uh, I wouldn't say terror, 
But people were scared. And there were reports were coming in all the time. Uh, you know, again, I never saw anything myself. But I was a child. So when a lot of this was happening, you know, I was in bed. You know, mom and dad, you know, you've got to go to... Uh, you got to go to school in the morning. So, you know, I missed some of the uh, nighttime activity. <clears throat> Not that there was any much around where I was. But I do remember one instant uh, that sticks out in my mind. And I read about it at the time, or rather my mother read it to us from the paper at the time. And I remember her reading the newspaper because it had... Uh, happened the day before and it had made our local newspaper which you know you grow up in the rural south if you make the newspaper that's a big deal so I remember us gathered around uh, and she had made fried uh, steak like chicken fried steak you folks out west recognizing biscuits and gravy and you know mashed potatoes all that stuff that's just you know this southern sort of thing uh, and it stopped everyone she read the article I remember everyone was hungry it was like 6.30 or 7 in the evening and uh, my father had returned from his job and he was an electrician and uh, you know she had cooked this meal and generally you know everybody's digging in there's not much conversation at first anyway at the dinner table because everybody's trying to get a mouthful of that, that good fried steak but I remember it stopping the uh, the entire process and everyone stopping and just sitting there with a fork in hand listening to the story. And a gentleman out in a little town uh, on the southeast side of our county, Orchard Hill, Georgia. And this happened in the daytime. And said so he was sitting on the porch... And many years, well, let me just digress right quick. I actually talked to the gentleman and heard what he said he saw. But it was years later when I was a, a, a teen. And this is where the account that I'm sharing comes from. Okay. There's another gentleman across the road who saw it. The, he, and he gave me his side of the story. But essentially, they were sitting there. One was on one side of the road. He ran like a little fruit stand. And the other, the gentleman, the gentleman interviewed in the paper was sitting on his porch. And there was a water tower at this location off Swint Road. is the name of the road in Orchard Hill. And he said that he saw the thing fall from heaven. And he said it came down drifting back and forth on the air like a leaf would fall. The leaf, or the object rather, finally touched the earth and said it just immediately basically scorched and started a fire in the grass of the field where the object touched the ground. Now, essentially... The, the two witnesses were sitting diagonal from each other from their various perspectives, and it landed there in the location. He said he approached it 
because it was starting a fire, <clears throat> got up there and said whatever it had been had burned out, but it had absolutely scorched and burnt the earth itself. Now, that, that much is uh, definitely verified from two eyewitnesses, and they called the sheriff's office, who in turn called uh, the Georgia Experiment Station, which is in Georgia. We were, were once a lot more agricultural in nature, and in the south portion of the state we still are, but the University of Georgia has agricultural extension offices all over the state, and in various test areas uh, where they work on different kinds of grains and corns and stuff like that. Well, they called a person uh, who was a doctor, who was a scientist, who came out and took soil readings. And I believe at the time he arrived, and it was a couple of hours later, the, the temperature of the ground was still around 1,200 degrees or so, if uh, what I remember is correct. And it was a big stir, obviously, in a small town, and a lot of people came and uh, looked at the location. I, you know, I was far away. I was a kid, <clears throat> far away meaning the other side of the county, so I didn't get to go see it during the actual uh, few days afterwards that a lot of people trooped down there to see it. But the story lived on. And if you're not familiar with 1973, all across the eastern United States, uh, in the southeast especially, there was uh, just absolutely hundreds of UFO sightings. And uh, in one case, uh, a police officer in the little town of Sunnyside who I knew, and he told me this at the time when I was a kid, but he claimed to have seen a UFO hovering over Sunnyside during the time frame. And this is also during uh, the same time as the Pascagoula, Mississippi incident where the two gentlemen who were fishing on the Pascagoula River were abducted and taken on board a spacecraft or allegedly a spacecraft down in Mississippi. So it just kind of sets the time frame of what was going on. Uh, I don't know what to say. UFOs are a tough... Uh, tough nut to crack because if they are indeed extraterrestrial uh, you know we're in trouble essentially because if, if they can travel faster than light and are actually uh, moving between star systems uh, you know we're like ants to those creatures those beings I don't know do people see UFOs yes people see UFOs and I, you know, what do you make of this? I don't know. Some people are lying. Some people are telling the truth. <clears throat> I don't know. It's just something to think about. You know, watch the skies. That's my best uh, advice for you. Uh, go out and talk to these people if uh, you're interested. Most of them are willing. Some are not. <clears throat> I mean, it. you know, you if you get involved in this uh area of investigation and you you know I don't care what it is Bigfoot or UFOs or even ghosts you're always going to have an element of people ridiculing you and you know over time you do develop alligator skin and you begin to just you know dismiss 
what you know people's opinions because that's all they really are are just opinions uh, I, I can say uh, pretty much for, for myself and Steve I mean we our interest is personal and while we do you know we're out there and we're reaching out to people and we have this podcast and and you know we've both published things in the past that deal with it uh, I'm not in this for monetary gain this is for personal interest for me uh, I enjoy uh, doing the podcast I enjoy talking to people I enjoy hearing their stories and even if it's just a campfire story you know I, I still enjoy the story uh, because I think it becomes part of wh- who we are as people. You know, we on our planet, we've pretty much explored and discovered everything on the planet. So in a certain way, it's nice to know that there's still things out there that we can explain and that we're still questing and searching for the unknown. You know, sometimes it's terrifying thought because we don't really know what's out there in space. We don't really know. Less than 10% of our oceans have even been explored. So we really don't know what's even still on our own planet, in our oceans. And there's still places, the Amazon up in the Northwest Territories in Alaska and the Himalayas. Um, different places, Siberia, there are places out there that a man, even to this day, has never set foot. So the potential's there that there's always going to be, hopefully, the unexplained and the unknown. There's still going to be something for us to discover and learn about. And that, you know, just in a nutshell, I really feel like I'm trying to encapsulate what motivates me to go through this to create a podcast and to reach out to you also just to help people because you know this person that that sent the email in if you've never encountered anything like this or you you've never read about it or heard about it or listened to other people it can be pretty terrifying that you're you know you're suddenly confronted with an eight foot tall ape man who's sneaking around your house it causes your reality to shift and that's what happened to me I mean many years ago was once I had verified that you know the evidence I collected that day it caused me to look beyond what my perception of reality had been and say wow maybe some of this stuff is not necessarily so foolish I don't know It's really interesting, though. I don't know about you, but uh, always the unknown. What's out there? We don't know. And that's what we're about here is let's quest out and let's examine this stuff. You know, please, again, let me emphasize, we're here to help. So if, if this is of interest to you, please continue joining us and join our listenership. If you're encountering something out there hey I'm not claiming to be an expert at anything okay I'm working on my PhD but it's not this okay maybe at some point if I ever get the PhD 
I can claim to be an expert in an area, but until that time, I, you know, I'm just with you, pal. We're both in the same lifeboat, you know, and that's kind of an analogy that I use for people who, you know, one person at the front of the lifeboat, lifeboat may have a different perspective than me, but it doesn't make me right or that person right. We're both in the same lifeboat, okay? We're both in the same situation, and until you, you know, for instance, have a Bigfoot in your garage, and you're observing the Bigfoot, and, you know, you, you can say, you know, you can go take tissue samples, hair samples, sit down and interview the Bigfoot, record its vocalizations, you know, until you have a creature in a confined space, don't don't sell that you're an expert. You may be an expert of the stories that people have told about Bigfoot, you know. You may be an expert person at going out investigating and camping or looking for Bigfoot, but we don't know what these things are. We don't know what UFOs are, really, and you know, how, how much more can you emphasize to people that, you know, I respect a person who's a researcher and who's looking into this stuff, but we don't have definitive answers, and until we can find and have definitive answers, hey, you know what, we're all still drifting in the lifeboat. Oh no, interesting world that we live in now. Uh, I think that uh, my interest in Bigfoot was spurred by obviously my incident, but just the notion that there there could possibly be a relic hominid, something left over from a time uh, from the Pleistocene era, or you know some ancient form that's managed somehow to possibly elude modern man. And unfortunately, I just think year by year that we're losing that um, possibility. I think technology is racing forward so fast that, you know, with LIDAR and, and, and all of these different uh, technological uh, advances that people are making, especially with drones and cameras and infrared. You, you know, every year I think the window closes on the notion that this could be a biological creature. And in UFOs, I mean, you know, again, I just recently, and I, I can't reference this, I'm, I'm coming off the cuff, but, you know, helicopter military they're flying back they have gun sight cameras on and they record a UFO keeping pace with them at a lower altitude you know got two or three minutes of this thing and there is no explanation except for the fact that there was a solid object you know recorded by their video camera guys you know what <clears throat> they're out there there's stuff out there and philosophically, uh, it's scary. But on the other hand, it's also reassuring to me because, you know, there's, there's things afoot. That's what Sherlock Holmes used to say. He said, the game's afoot. Well, the game is afoot. And, you know, you can choose to put your head in the sand 
or you can lift your head up and you can look around and start paying attention. And, you know, I'm just going to end up talking about this a little bit. You know, we started out, but I just feel like this is necessary. I feel led to talk about this because um, you don't want to spend your life being a corporate slave. You know, we we all, and I have done it, everybody who's a quote-unquote responsible adult, you go out, you get a job, and when you're young, you're able to manage it a lot better because you are young, but as you get older, you find yourself falling into ruts. You find yourself, uh, basically, life becomes like a treadmill. You know, you get up, you go to work, you do your job, you come home, if you're fortunate enough to have a, a family or a significant other, you have your routine that gets set up, if you have your kids, you know, but this happens and it goes over and over and over again. And it, it, it essentially wears you out. And what happens is you, you stop being aware. You're very aware of what's happening within your familial routine. But you're not necessarily paying attention. You're not necessarily looking around you for the odd and the wondrous and the miraculous things that are taking place around you. And, you know, you have to change your entire mindset a little bit. And you have to say, okay, today I'm going to pay attention and I'm just going to watch and make this part of your daily life, the little things. And if you stop and slow down from this routine mentally, because, you know, if you've got a job, you, you've got to go to your job. You've got to meet your financial obligations, you know, familial obligations. But <clears throat> slow down and watch. Pay closer attention to what's going on around you. And... I think you're going to be surprised at the bizarreness and the, the strange things that get passed over during your routine day, things that are happening. We could get into religion a little bit, but, you know, I think that seriously people don't pay attention to the miraculous. Uh, I'd like to use, for example, angels. You know, people, uh, well, everyone in the monotheistic religions, Judaism, Islam, and certainly Christianity, everyone in those religions who believe the orthodox explanation provided in the Torah or the Quran or the Holy Bible, except that there are angels. Now, this is not a discoverable phenomena in that, you know, there are people who say they've seen angels, but for the most part, we don't see. An angel is to us in this dimension an invisible being, but it doesn't preclude the fact that we can't see them, that they're not there, and that they're not in existence, and that they're not... Uh, influencing or affecting our lives. So, you know, my point is just pay attention. 
slow down in your daily life. You know, if you're interested in uh, Bigfoot, you know, if you hear uh, of an incident, go out and take a look around. Uh, if you're interested in ghosts and you've heard a place is haunted, go examine that place. You know, get out. Don't rely on the computer. Don't rely on the television. You cannot rely on the computer or television. Uh, you know, trust your own two eyes and what your body and your gut and your instinct tells you. Get Break out of your routine. Go and see these things for yourself. You know, because you'll be amazed at what you will find. But don't become obsessed and don't stare into it too long. Nietzsche said, you know, if you stare into the abyss long enough, it'll stare back into you. Be smart about this. You know, moderation. Go see these things. Go investigate for yourself. And, you know, just remember, when you show interest in this area, this area is going to show interest in you. Now, it may seem foreboding or warning, but I would be remiss as your uh, host not to uh, include that. You will definitely, if you get into a paranormal investigation, you will find that odd things will begin happening. And it just comes with the territory. Not necessarily meant to be uh, a warning, but for instance, uh, you know, you got to be very careful what you invite into your life. So keep that in mind. I, I know a lot of uh, ghost hunters, and I have done that, but I'm not primarily into that. But I'm I'm. Uh, I'm ghost hunting literate. Let's just say that. I, I know kind of what I'm about. But, you know, <clears throat> you have to be careful when you go to these places, especially something that has the reputation for being malevolent, that you don't invite this thing to come back home with you. So, again, you know, just be smart. Use precautions. Uh you want to do, you know, we might do something on ghost hunting uh, here shortly. I've got a couple of things planned out coming up, but I'm not going, uh, I would rather have Steve back on his feet with me for uh, those uh, episodes. And because I like Steve's perspective, frankly, Steve's a great co-host because, you know, he, he has truly got uh, an excellent uh, scientific mind and you know he's also an engineer and he's he's very familiar with these things so I kind of depend on him sometimes in areas when we're going to talk about electromagnetism or the the things necessary to uh, punch through to the other side you know it's good to have Steve around because Steve's literate much more so is much more expertise in those areas than I have. I, I have a working knowledge, but I don't claim expertise. So anyway, 
you know, I, I just want to thank you guys for tuning in and listening. And, you know, it means the world to us because, you know, I understand we're, we're kind of low-tech. Some people have, you know, bumper music and have all that stuff. And, you know, as this progresses and our listenership increases and people get involved with us, uh, you may see some of this happen. Right now, though, I mean, I really like the fact that we can do this podcast utilizing the things that we have anywhere, which means, you know, there's going to be some remotes probably done. I may do one from Swamp, may do one, you know, I've thought about doing one at a, a place that's noted for Bigfoot activity and do something like that. Uh, and bring you guys along with us as we go off and do an investigation. You know, yes, you know, it's very minimal, but you know what? Sometimes less is more. And I think in our case, that's going to at least right now be the hallmark sort of strategy that we're going to use because, guys, you can't, if you're going to be real about this, you know, you, you can't tote a recording studio with you into the mountains or into uh, the Everglades or wherever, you know, you you have to just utilize the things that you can carry and, you know, this way we can still reach out to you and hopefully, like I said, very soon I may have to get a data, uh, a data uh, account for a uh, laptop, but we may do some remote stuff from one or two of those locations. I don't know. So anyway, that's kind of your update for where we are right now on this show. Uh, and, you know, I got so involved in trying to explain that we're just going to have to bump forward the, the original topic that I was going to talk about. And uh, next week, essentially, we're going to talk about uh, the biblical and the Quranic uh, perspective on ghosts. And also, as an adjunct to that, we're going to talk about jinn. And, you know, if you're a Christian person and you, you're not, I, I've always very much been into researching world religions, but <clears throat> Muslim people believe that there is a third race of being on this planet. Okay, there are angels, there's Allah, which is our, you know, in a Christian perspective would be God, uh, his angels, humans, and another species of being called jinn. And jinn were created from fire, and we're going to get into that, but but jinn have cities, according to the Muslim tradition. They have entire cities on our planet. They may live even in the same house as you. And <clears throat> there are, you know, reports, you know, from madrasas, which is a place where uh, a Muslim student goes to learn the Quran, of uh, manifestations of jinn in these places. Okay, we're not going to get into an argument, you know, about... The origin, I'm, you know, I'm just going to play this straightforward that, you know, we're going to look at their explanation of what these creatures are, our beings, 
I don't want to insult the gin if he's in here with me. So, you know, tune in next week, and we'll do our best to uh, explore. Maybe Steve will be back. I don't know. He sounded pretty sick. So, we'll just uh, troop forward. And thank you guys very much, as always, for tuning in to Anecdotal Notes. Thank you for all of your uh, positive comments. Uh, We hope, you know, we'll continue to be able to share these stories and deal with these issues and explore. Because that's what it's all about, guys. Get out of your house and go explore. And, you know, fight, fight the treadmill you know you only have a finite number of years on this planet okay then you're going to be translated into another form at least i believe that so get out of your house go investigate some of this stuff bigfoot may not be your thing you know maybe ufos are if that's the case go out and you know investigate area 51 go out there and see what all this is about if ghosts are that go to uh, castillo de san marcos down in St. Augustine and examine where people say, oh, we see these ghosts. Like I said, finite number of years, you know, get up, get out, go see the world because it's a big, wonderful, horrifying, miraculous, terrible, awful, great world out there. And it's your world. Go investigate it. So thank you again. And we'll talk to you next week on anecdotal notes.